going on y'all it is tuesday and the hold that podcast podcast is back uh sorry you missed last week but me and brody taking a little r and r but we are back and we are excited to talk more lsu football with you our wonderful listeners uh i'm t bob Abear. i host off the bench a radio show here in baton rouge i am joined as i am every week by my co-host brody miller he writes for the athletic brody what's up man how you doing you know, I've been wanting to tell you some big news, and uh, I actually texted you this, but I, I but you didn't answer, and it's okay. But you know, as a Peloton guy yourself, I wanted to let you know this is a big, big week for the family because we just ordered our, our first Peloton. Uh-huh. It, it's a big day. Hell yeah! Are we dude. part of the cult? Hell yeah! I've fallen off a little bit post birth, honestly, as I adjust to this new two kid schedule. But um, I'm a huge fan. It is fantastic. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I would take Cody Rigsby's classes. I think he's hilarious. Okay. Uh, but this is all that podcast podcast where we talk LSU football each and every Tuesday for around an hour, normally like 40 minutes or something. Um, and it is sponsored by The Athletic. You should go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast 40% off to sign up. Uh, today, we have a lot to get into. Um, some huge recruiting news on the LSU front. Um, we are going to compare two different hype trains currently, the Liam Shanahan hype train versus the Racy McMath hype train, who is supreme. Uh, we got to talk about Marcel Brooks leaving as that news broke last week when we were off. And then at the end of the show, we're going to give you some, uh, some, some value plays, some gambling. Uh, since Brody is an avid gambler, I am not, but he is your gambling expert. And at the very end of the show, I will tell you who is the wealthiest athlete in world history. That's right, and I guarantee it's not who you think. Uh, how's wow. that for a what tease? What a perfect – that was a radio, that was a Greeny-style radio hey. tease if I've ever heard one. Hey, I mean, there you notes. go. Now you just got to stick around all 40 minutes to figure out who that uh, is. <laughs> or I guess technology is a thing but, and you could jump to the end. But you don't want to do that because if you jump to the end, you're going to miss what a recruiting weekend it was for LSU, Brody. Uh, three more four-stars joining this class. Let me see if I have them correct. I'm notoriously bad at recruiting. There's Naquan Brown, right? Yep, is he from 100%. Virginia? Um, there is Keanu Cote, uh, another defensive end, um, I think from Florida. And correct. then I'm missing the big – oh, and then Chris, Chris Hilton. Hilton. Yeah, and then I'm missing the big one. Chris Hilton from Zachary, a man who I saw live actually at that West Monroe Championship a couple of years ago in which he caught – like, West Row looked like they had the game won. There's like two minutes left. They're winning. I think it was like third and 12 or some BS. Uh, Zachary fumbles the snap, and the quarterback picks it up, manages to fire it off to Hilton. Hilton takes it 80 yards, game winner to win state. It was really badass. And uh, he is now committed to LSU. So, Brody, I mean, I, there, there's a bunch of different places we could start, but what, what was your biggest takeaway from the uh, from that trio committing to the Tigers, 
Yeah, and I mean, just for, for context for our listeners, you add that on top of about a week earlier, Garrett Dellinger, the top 100 yep. offensive tackle from Michigan commits. So, I mean, LSU is genuinely rolling. They went, they're up to the number six class in the country right now, and they still have less commits than, you know, most of the teams ranked higher than them. So, you know, you got to factor that in because, you know, the, the, the rankings until they're all in the same numbers don't really mean much. And they don't so, have any five stars. So they don't have like a, <laughs> uh, you know, a uh, proverbial yeah. crown jewel yet which we assume they'll have at least one. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my big takeaway is that, you know, there was kind of this thing. I mean, you know, I got every mailbag question I got or everything, you know, it was always like, man, should we be concerned that LSU is not really, you know, r- raking in recruits and all that, like around like May and whatnot. And I kept saying, guys, like, it's okay. If they were like losing on guys they wanted, yeah, get concerned. Like if you're seeing them like take L after L, of course you should be a little concerned. But it was just like a lot of guys just hadn't decided yet. And it was just like there wasn't actually any, you know, you know, wait till they actually get a little further down. And LSU has just been very steadily since I'd say, you know, early June probably. And even May has just been, been rolling. They got their quarterback and we did like a whole episode on that. And they, now they're. My big takeaway is they are just loaded at receiver and edge rusher right now because I mean their receiver class has a chance to be you know one of the best and you know probably I would think off the top of my head one of the best in all of college football because yeah. you're gonna it seems like they are on pace we'll see where the rankings end up to land four top 100 receivers in one class in Chris Hilton JoJo Early who's the number 75 player in the country Deion Smith from Mississippi number 86 player in the country and then fellow Louisiana guy Brian Thomas Jr. they are you know a, a pretty solid favorite for right now another top you know 60 receiver so I mean it tells you so much it one tells you that that's a priority this class which we knew it tells you that just the way receivers view LSU has really changed because I mean, don't get me wrong they've always landed talented receivers but right now to join a class that big that's huge. And then my last thing I'll say before I let you take over is that it's always just last year's the best example, though, of I'm fascinated to see what this class looks like in, in February because last year it looked like they were going to have this, like, three, five-star receiver class and it was going to be holy crap. But I think receiver more than any position other than maybe running back, it's the easiest to kind of sway guys because, like, well, man, I don't know. They're taking four guys like you. Like, yeah. You know, like – yeah, I just think that's really possible. So be, I think they'll keep their in-state guys, but I'm fascinated to see that. But what do you got? Yeah, we, we got to see if they can hold down uh, the full quad this year. If they do, it is a legend. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's a pretty wild class, and it adds to a position group that is already filled with talent. Like, like granted, Jamar Chase uh, will not be there. After this season, but I mean, do you think Terrace Marshall will? I, I could see him still probably not being around. You you think you think he's probably going to be gone as well? I think so, but what do I know? Uh, but then whatever they got like Coy Moore, Trey Palmer, they got some good young guys that I guess are unproven going into this year. Either way, LSU seems to be uh, committing a ton of resources to that receiver position, and I and- I, 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 did, I found this a bit interesting. Um, Wide receiver is a position, Brody, where – and we talked about this a lot, kind of discussing the Saints, not we, but me on my show, and, like, whether or not to pay Mac Thomas back in the day, right? And there was all this, like, uh, yeah. research coming out that paying wide receiver is actually not good for winning and and all of these things, and, and that was on the NFL level. And, and granted, it's different because in college you are not paying guys, but I think a lot of guy, people left those conversations thinking that wide receiver – is not the most impactful position in terms of wins and losses. And I was kind of of that same mind. But when you look at college football right now, and when you look at the 
continued emphasis that a school like Bama is putting on that position and the continued emphasis that LSU is putting on that position. And I can't help but think that there's been kind of a change in roster evaluation and what they think the receiver means to your team's success. And, in fact, I actually asked uh, – I, I asked one of the coaches or staffers. I can't remember if it was um, – ah. I can't remember if it was Mickey Joseph or Colin <laughs> D'Angelo. But I basically asked this question, right? Has y'all's viewpoint of receivers changed? And he said it has. That in the past, it was a position where you maybe take two to three guys a year, and then now they've like bumped that number up to four to five. So it's just, just a little interesting parallel there, seeing Alabama build success through that wide yeah. receiver position and now LSU following suit. Yeah, and I, 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 I'll, I'll be somebody who I think I was on your show actually. Like, I think the Michael Thomas news actually like broke while I was on your show, if I remember correctly. So we talked about this very thing like a year ago, and and we were talking about I used to be somebody who kind of thought receiver was an overvalued position, yep. especially in the NFL and whatnot. And I think I've changed, and I think part of that comes from how offenses have changed, right, and how. One, you know, pass a game is king now, first off. But two, receivers aren't just like a guy that you say go deep or anything like that. It's, they're playmakers now. I mean, it, it's all a little more fluid. It's not, you know, it's it's a screen game and the deep game. And it, like, it really feels like you're not I – mean, look at the receivers they're getting. They're guys like Chris Hilton, JoJo Early, who are under six feet, who are, you know, after the catch kind of superstars, right? So I yeah. think – I think you really are saying it's it's there's a little more I mean obviously none of these guys are going to be confused with running backs but there's a little more fluidity with what's you know like a screen is basically a run right and I think I think there is more value there and then you add in the fact that you know the common sense aspect of it that LSU is going four and five wide more so you need more receivers but I, I just think that if if we all agree that quarterback's the most position most important position in sports then wouldn't we also, if you're going to view it that importantly, then you yeah. have to you know, let it broaden and say, well, how can you make life easier for your quarterback? And I think 2020 is actually going to be an incredible test case for this, right, in that we have no idea how good Miles Brennan is going to be. We really don't. I mean, and say we're, say we're going under the assumption that he's going to be the definition of average, which I think is a fair assumption, first off. If we, if we go under that assumption, then we're going to really learn the value of receivers this year because yeah. – the idea is this offense is going to be built to take pressure off of him. Quick passes. Get the guy in the playmaker's hands. So if you view it that way, hey, Garrett Nussmeyer might not be the star you think he is going to be, but you want to surround him with four-star receivers so that he can you know, be put in easier situations. No, I, I, I think that's a great point. And it, uh, it actually it reflects a lot of the things that I've always said about offensive line. And for whatever reason, I've just never extended that to wide receiver. And, and you saw it last year. Yeah, and you saw it last year with Joe Burrow, right? I mean, what's better than a receiver that you can trust? Like, in terms of quarterback decision-making, what's better than a receiver that you know, okay, if I have one-on-one -on -one here, I can throw the ball up. And even if it's a jump ball, I believe that my guy – will come down with it. Uh, and it looks like LSU's recruiting class as it stands now potentially has a few more of those guys coming in. So a uh, huge weekend. So wait, did, did we get to touch on the Dellinger news here, Brody? Sometimes I get I, – I don't think we did either. Uh, that's a big get as well. Um, and I won't belabor the point, but offensive line is super down in, LSU, er, in Louisiana this year. Traditionally, it's not the best in Louisiana. We've talked on the podcast before – about the analytical study that Jack Marucci's been doing, trying to 
figure out which portions of the country produce the best positions from like an NFL standpoint. It turns out the Midwest makes good offensive linemen. No surprise there. Um, and now for the third time in as many years, or maybe third time in two years, either way, they go to the Midwest and they get another lineman, Anthony Bradford, the big name, Charles Turner, maybe a lesser name, but Garrett Dellinger, uh, filling a need of this class, which seems like a really good offensive tackle. Yeah. And you know, I think there's a few things that jump out from there. Well, first off the offensive line of green by James Craig has to be mentioned because, you know, he does probably... I don't want to say a tough. I mean, he probably is the toughest job positionally recruiting of anyone on the staff, just because Louisiana year in year out isn't going to be a great state in that department. So James Craig, I mean, he has pretty much had to go around the country for, I mean, most of his entire offensive line. I mean, they got you know they got fortunate yeah. with a few, but so you know to be able to do that this year, and you know you're you're not going to land some of them, right? But you're you got Dellinger. Then you're, I mean, they seem like a genuinely front runner, at least heavily in the mix with Tristan Lee, who's on your show this morning. Who, I mean, obviously a five star offensive tackle, a star. So, I mean, the if they are able to land those two guys, that's huge, but it's just the fact that they're in those conversations, right? The fact that you know they, they were at least in the running with a Rocco Spindler, for example, and all these guys. And there's some other, there's another offensive guard, I think, in the in the Midwest that they're, they're in the running with. I mean, they. That's huge, and then for Kevin Falk to be able to go to Cincinnati and land Corey Kiner at running back, or or you know Naquan Brown and all these guys, you know from Virginia to Florida to Mississippi, Georgia. I mean, last year was the year where that became the big story, right? LSU goes national, but you couldn't help but wonder if that was just kind of like, hey, you know, maybe it worked out that way. Maybe the Elias Ricks connection was just kind of a once in a gen, like a random thing, and then it led to yeah. You, know, you just don't know. So for them to actually, it seems, be able to make that a sustainable thing. And yeah, you're going to have some risk with it. I mean, be prepared, LSU fans, to so, you know, to lose one or two of those national guys because local powers might convince them, like Raheem Jarrett, for example. That will happen. But the fact that it's yeah. not going away, I just think that is, one, a testament to you know the, the coaches who deserve a lot of credit. And shout out some guys like Christian Lockature, Russ Calloway, some guys that probably aren't talked about as, not, as much that clearly have been standing out recruiting as GAs and analysts. But it's a testament to... You know, Ogeron's thing that, you know, he, he always says he kind of didn't really learn until about a year and a half ago that LSU had a national brand, that they really could do that. So now we're seeing, I mean, it's true, and I think you're actually going to see it more in this class and the future classes because they're starting earlier. You know, it's not just like picking up a, a guy when he was a junior that, from California. It's they're recruiting these guys at a young age, and that's going to be fascinating to follow in future classes. Uh, yeah, you pointed out on Twitter, Brody, and this was even before the latest commitment, which was again, another out of state player, but 13 of the 15 LSU commits now are not from Louisiana. To me, that's a result of branding. That's a result of, and what I mean by branding is that's a result of like playing in nationally televised games and being on the college football playoff show. Uh, consistently in terms of like, should you be number one, should be number four, yeah. and then go into the playoff and go in 15 now. All that is is just, I mean, the advertising there is, from a monetary standpoint, wild. So congrats to LSU for striking while the iron's hot in a quarantine era in which they can't actually have people visit. 
And last thing on this topic before we move on, because we are not recruiting experts, uh, <laughs> on theathletic.com, which you should sign up for, uh, athletic.com slash hold that podcast, 40% off, and you can read all these incredible articles. Um, Ari Wasserman had his, uh, his mailbag, and somebody asked him, with the pandemic, do you think – uh, let me get the exact question. There's so many players picking schools they haven't been able to visit. Do you think the recruiting cycle could lead to even more players transferring a year or two down the road, especially if transfer rules are lightened up to allow for one transfer without having to sit out? He responded, "Fatic, yes, yes, yes. Here's what I want to point out. I don't want to belabor the point. There's some food for thought for the listeners. At the end of this answer, he lays out basically his three things that he thinks this kind of pandemic setting, nobody being allowed to visit, could lead to. First, Players are going to arrive on campus and maybe not feel as comfortable because they didn't get to visit enough. That will lead to transfers. Number two, coaches are going to invite players onto campus and realize they aren't good enough to play there. That will lead to transfers. By the way, if you don't think in-person evaluation matters, think about the fact that Everson Griffin in the NFL is not on an NFL team right now, and it's because people say that they want to get to uh, – to, to see him in person. Now, his is more mental, but that's still just crazy to me given his track record. And then number three, with the lack of evaluation happening in the summer, some middle-tier programs are going to get major diamonds in the rough, which in the long term, you may see those guys transfer from those middle-tier programs to a uh, bigger program a la a Jabril Cox. So this is nothing you're going to see immediately, Brody. But the ripple effects of recruiting in the pandemic could be felt a couple of years from now. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, it's funny. I actually would have – I think when I started thinking about this when you brought it up, it, I kind of thought I'd be like, yeah, the no visits thing's going to be huge and that's going to be why. But then I go back to – and it's a thing I've said on the show a million times that I keep – you know, recruiting people keep telling me the biggest thing they've learned from this is that kids always knew where they wanted to go. They just want to do the visits and then they go where they want to go the mm. whole time. And that's why you're seeing yeah. more commitments this spring. Which, I mean, by the way, I still think you're going to see some attrition because of that factor. But it almost makes me think, like, well, I don't know, because I thought visits were going to be such a big hit for some of these schools. And then you see LSU is still recruiting nationally and still landing guys from nine different states, some of them pretty far away. So maybe the visit thing isn't as important as we thought. But I will say the evaluation part is the best point Ari makes. And I actually think it's – I couldn't agree more, is that not having an evaluation period this spring, this summer, and who knows what fall football is going to look like, all these things – yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point that there's going to be a lot of guys that might be rated like a top 150 guy, and then you're going to they're going to arrive on campus and be like, he just doesn't cut it, and vice versa. So I actually think that is the main reason you will see it's not just going to be kids being like homesick or you know not feeling comfortable. I feel like it's going to be a lot of coaches kind of nudging guys out of there, or or guys like your Jabril Coxes of the world who are just better than the level landed landed at. I think it's a it's a great point. Yeah, and uh, one of the vice versas is actually a guy that I want to talk about uh, next, which is Liam Shanahan, where it didn't sound like in talking to people around the program when the news was first announced, although I was like, wow, this seems like a great move. It didn't seem like they were super high on him. And then when they've since they've gotten eyes on him, the Liam Shanahan hype train is, I mean, it's leaving the station. It's 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 rolling down the tracks, choo chooing along. Uh, I think LSU may have found a center. So now we arrive at the point in the show, Brody, when we have to compare two hype trains that are quickly <laughs> gaining steam: Liam Shanahan versus Racy McMath. You just actually wrote an article about McMath. Uh, tell our listeners why, because everybody knows about Jamar Chase. Everybody knows about. 
Terrace Marshall. It feels like we know about Arik Gilbert, which, by the way, I figured out it's pronounced Arik this week. I'm an idiot. Uh, me too. Uh, yes, yes, we've all been saying That's Eric actually us assholes. being smarter because for a long time we would have pronounced it Arik. And then like around 2015, I think the world got smarter and learned that sometimes we're overthinking it and it's just Eric. And then it bounce, comes back and gets us. So really, it's just not. I, I think that's us actually being more ahead of the times and it, and it backfired. Hey, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Credit to us. I agree. <laughs> We're the we heroes. deserve credit for mis <laughs> we deserve credit for mispronouncing Ari Gilbert's name. I completely support this. You're learning how sports talk hosts the irrational confidence you have to have, Brody. I'm, I'm very happy yeah. with you right now. Uh so but 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 the point being, these are known quantities. Racing Math is a guy we always have heard about. Why do you think he is ready? to take that next step and become a known quantity. You know, I mean, I'm not even sure I think he's ready, but I mean, I I think okay. he, I think he is, but I do think, yeah, I mean, the if you're going to compare hype trains, I want to first off, I think the racing math hype train is much more, you know, full speed ahead than the Liam Shanahan one right now, and it's it's fascinating, right? That's because, fair. You know, it's it's one of our favorite jokes is the the what should we call him? The that guy all stars, where it's like your Andre Anthony's, your Racy McMaths, your Ray Thorntons, where <laughs> they're guys that are just always listed by Ed Ogeron. You know, it's like you know, like Racy McMath could get some time, and you know, Andre Anthony might get some yeah. time, but like they don't. That doesn't mean anything, and we don't know if they actually like them. And he's gone from being a that guy all star to like in the last two months, like a consensus next star in the rise, and, and it's such a fascinating, you know conversation because you know first you had you know Ogeron saying a lot of positive stuff and then I think around April I saw the LSU account tweeted like a very intentional graphic of of Chase Marshall and McMath together and that that you know you don't yeah that's very intentional and then you know then you start and then Ensminger about two months ago says it's going to be a breakout year for Racy McMath that's something very strong for Steve Ensminger to say and then like last week Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl out of nowhere tweeted something of like you know, Racing McMath, somebody we're really watching this year. He's like, that's such a unprompted thing. That's just like, wow, is there something here? So, you know, obviously I wrote about him last week and I started talking to people around the program. And I mean, shoot, this wasn't even the story. I got a text this morning, actually, from somebody who was, you know, watching one of the player workouts and was like, hey, I'm not sure if your story's up yet, but like, he's the kind of player who I was watching him in workouts and he's like, he's the type of player who can run over a Mike linebacker, stiff arm a safety, and outrun the corner for a touchdown. So, Damn. I just think he's a because you know physically he is a freak, right? I mean he is six foot three, two hundred almost thirty pounds, special team superstar, runs over linebackers and stuff. And I think the thing with him is he had to catch up on the offense, he had to learn the playbook, he got unlucky being behind superstar receivers. But I I, I really do kind of get the sense that he uh, it's his job. While and all that is to say, I think the Liam Shanahan one is kind of more of like a. All right, he's pretty good, you know. Like it's like a, you know. All right, he's a good leader. He's a better athlete than we thought. Like, I think Liam Shanahan is proving that he's firmly in the mix at center. I'm just not ready to say like he's got that job. I think Racy McMath, like that's his. Yeah, I think. Uh, okay, on, on Racy, real quick, something that you something that you hit on why he is the winner in the hype train competition. Uh, to me, is simply because. He has proven it on special teams. Uh, there is something to be said for a guy who can go out there and because because it speaks to a few things, right? First off, if you're a very good special teamer, uh, as you point out, chances are you're an athletic freak because that's all special teams is, right? It's like 
pure athleticism, strength and speed, tackling. It involves a lot of different skill sets. Uh, and as you say in your article, Coach O says this is one of the best special teamers he's ever been around in you know his 30 years, whatever it is, of, of coaching. Uh, also, though, when you see an upperclassman like that, you know he wants playing time, right? He wants to catch touchdowns. That's what he wants to be doing. But when I see a guy who doesn't allow that, the fact that he's not getting to do that to kind of fester and to upset him and to create this net negative, and I see a guy who instead, uh, and this can all sound very cliche, but you know, a lot of times team stuff does. But when I see a guy who like buys in and commits himself to doing, being the best that he possibly can at the role that is given to him, that speaks, I think, to like a work ethic and maturity that can be a precursor to success. So I desperately hope that Racy McMath falls through because he's put in the work, he's put in the time, he's bided his time, and now it seems like he is ready to arrive. The one thing I hear about him is he just has to catch the ball. <laughs> um, I, I know they're doing their summer, which always sounds funny with the receiver, right? But like that is one of the biggest improvement points from two years ago to last year was the summer of 10,000 catches, again, which you wrote about uh the and the improvement that that had on this team like there were almost no dropped passes there were some but not a lot at all last season and so it seems like that's maybe the biggest knock on him and if he can fix that i think he's going to be great now as far as liam shanahan yeah hit me up i am i am going I'm, I'm i am calling it i am saying he is the starting center here on july 7th 2020 um, I love it. Everything I've heard of everything I've heard about him is that obviously we knew he was going to be able to get it done mentally, right? Harvard econ, all that stuff, very impressive. Um, even though, how about Harvard? They're saying they're saying kids are not they're they're going to do virtual classes this fall, but you still have to pay the fifty thousand dollar tuition. <laughs> oh, that's just crazy to me. If you ever thought that, but but I guess why I bring that up is because it shows like, hey, you're paying for a name, right? Well, oh, yeah. the name of Harvard. If you have that associated, we think you're smart. We assume Shanahan was smart. Turns out he is. Apparently, he understands the offense. He's been really good at making the calls. His teammates have, have responded well to it. Um, and and so I think the big question was him was coming from the Ivy League, could he hang in the SEC, right? And, and that's a valuable question. But he's got the size. And one thing to that is important to me is that it wasn't like he was just in the Ivy League. He was a multiple-year starter and an all-conference player, right? We can't always control the level of competition that we end up at, especially not in something like college football recruiting. What you can control is how you perform in relation to your competition. And so when I see a guy that is all conference, that means that he played as well as he could on that level. And I don't expect him to be physically dominant, but that is the beauty of center is that you don't have to be. Uh, you rarely go one-on-one -on -one as a center. Now, you know, I, I guess a lot of this depends on, the, obviously, the scheme the defense is running. Um, odd fronts, you're going to end up with more one-on-one -on -one opportunities. But in a 4-3, you almost never will. Uh, you always have help with your guards. So first and foremost, you need to be able to make the calls, get everybody on the same page. And if you can do that, 
then you got very good, very physical guys like Ed Ingram to help you out on combo blocks or give you a hand on pass blocks before they break out. Or like uh, on the other side, whoever wins that job, is it, is it Cardell Thomas? Who's all in the running for that right guard I'd job? i say it's Cardell right and Anthony Bradford mainly, especially if Shanahan's not Okay, in, yeah. yes. Either way, we think both of those guys could be pretty good Definitely players, is, right? Yeah. So I, I think that I think that Liam fills a gap which they didn't have. I don't feel like they had a center that they felt could fully or, or had yet fully understood the offense. And I think they're more impressed with his physical ability than they thought they would be. So yeah, choo uh, choo, mother bleepers. <laughs> See, uh, I don't know why I randomly censored I like myself it. out of nowhere, but yeah, choo choo, Liam Shanahan. Gonna be your starting center, and now uh, when that happens, that's just gonna be another crazy win on the wow. grad transfer. I love it. For you, this team. I love and, that you are and, going from like, and that's two weeks ago yeah. of like, you know, yeah. I think he might be good to like, he's the guy in LSU grad transfers are the yep. best in the country. I love it. I love the yep. the leap. I mean, don't I don't want to make it call my I shot. Love it. Hey, I, we need more confidence. And I'm gonna look. Obviously, I'm talking to people, and they're hyping them up, and that's why I'm saying this. But, but, but it does make sense. Like I, I was a bit surprised when they were kind of as low on him as they were at first. But ever since they got eyes on him, it seems like they're happy. And and I, I did love uh, Coach Joe came on the radio this morning, and he told a story about how Liam's family came to town finally, and they got to meet him. And I don't know when exactly this was, but. You wrote an article about Liam's family and what his his father's an Irish immigrant who came over here and managed to send three kids to the Ivy League with maybe one more on the way, uh, which is crazy and speaks to work ethic. Well, apparently him and Coach O hit it off, and I just cannot get over the amount of blue-collar manliness that was in the room when you had Ed Ogeron and his old Cajun gravelly voice and then this old true Irishman who's like the pure American immigration story you know just I feel like I can feel the wrinkles and and just the hardness in those two guys and uh, I would have loved to be in a fly on the wall for that conversation I just want to you know say for the record I, I love that sometimes when I'm on a show with you like you have this ability to make somebody like like when I when you're talking sports with you 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 go so high on something that you make the other person look like they're down on them and I love that <laughs> so I'm like the guy who wrote like yeah. Liam Shanahan like big glowing feature and now I'm like I seem like the, the anti-Shanahan <laughs> head I love it but no I mean it's true I, yeah. I, I, I will say I mean I, I, I doubted he had like a ton of upside. I didn't think he really did. And I, and I, I, it seems like the word is I've been proven wrong. And you know, he does have like the, I remember James Craig even said, he's like, they were looking for somebody to bring a chip on the shoulder veteran presence. And, and I mean, I know he's like an Ivy league guy. So a lot of people's assumption is, you know, you know, kind of, you know, white collar, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, son of an Irish immigrant. And the, some of the stories I've heard about Liam Shanahan were like, he he knocked his entire front teeth out while having braces in during a basketball game because he dove f- face first for a ball and then what? oh yeah and the, like he had his braces and dove full speed for a ball going out of bounds and completely knocked like a bunch of his front teeth out and they were just like hanging on the edge of the braces 
and and then he tried really hard to go back in the game, and the coach just literally wouldn't let him. So I mean, like he, he he's oh got that God. kind of toughness you're looking for from an offensive lineman, and obviously, I I, I it, that's just the tough thing is, and it's the tough thing with all of this is we're going off just word of people because I mean I'm not going to study Ivy League tape too closely because he's playing Ivy League guys, but yeah, I mean, yeah. the thing I'll say is. Hey, actually, I'll give myself credit for this. My one prediction was I actually said I think athletically he probably makes more sense as a center than a guard or tackle. I just didn't think. I didn't go. Brody called it (laughs) on the ground floor first. In so so there are your uh, there are your respective hype trains. LSU fans, Liam Shanahan, Race McMath, get excited, and then in like another two months, you can come and check if we were wrong or not. Please do. All right, so that brings us to our third and final topic of the day, Uh, gambling, something that is near and dear to Brody's heart. I do not always have the uh, cojones to gamble. I mean, I gamble with, like, virtual money on World of Warcraft, and I get, like, a pit in my stomach, so real money losing doesn't always go well with me. But uh, but Andy Staples had an article today, if you're looking for value, and you're looking for some money. Andy Staples was asked about some college football value bets. Brody, I'll ask you, do you have any college football value bets or any opinions on what Andy uh, Andy laid out? Well, you know, I, I actually think he laid it out beautifully because the thing that he highlights is, first off, he, he took out the top ones that are in the 10, 10 to 1 or less, right? So he took out yeah. Clemson, Ohio State, Bama, you know, even LSU and Auburn and those teams. But I think – Yeah, sorry, real quick. Uh, so Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. Wow. Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State, Texas, Auburn, and LSU were not here because that ain't value. We're looking for big money plays. We're looking for Joe Burrow 200 to 1 Heisman odds. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think the thing that Andy lays out very smartly is that – you know, probably no no good value outside of those top teams for any kind of SEC contender or anything like that. Just because if they're the West is so brutal that if they're good enough to do that, they're probably already ranked pretty high, and it's just such a hard road to go anything better than nine and three in that division. So he points out, I think Big Twelve is a great place to look, and he points out Iowa State, which I think you can get around like twenty to one, and I think that would be a pretty good bet because Iowa State's good, Matt Campbell's good, and I feel like he's going to have like a. Just a firm breakout eventually and also he points out that they had I think five different like they had five losses for a total of 21 points so they're a good one I mean the one that I love and I think 15 to 1 are the odds and I, I they're my team I bring up on the show so I'm just gonna you know Liam Shanahan's your 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 big claim and USC yeah. football is mine is that I I like USC Ooh. this year I'm not I'm not sure they're better than Oregon, but I like them better from a value point of view, you know, where I, I think in a head-to-head I pick Oregon, but with those numbers I like USC because USC's, I think, top 10 in the country in returning production, which you know I think matters. LSU was one of the top last year, and look what happened. I like, I love their quarterback, Keaton Slovis. I really do. I think their receiving core is one of the best in college football. It's nasty. I love Graham Harrell, the O.C., and then the defense we're going to see and whatnot, but again, returning production makes me feel a lot better about that defense. Where, again, if I'm actually predicting what I think USC will do this year, my prediction would be nine and three, right? I mean, like I think they'd be like a top twenty team, but I think there is a scenario where you lose to Bama week one, but you make it close. So suddenly everyone saw you on national TV play Bama close, and then you know maybe you win out and beat Oregon and Utah and those teams, or even just lose one of them, and it's like. Well, you know, like all of a sudden I think that would be a team that would have to be 
in the mix. So I think USC is a team that good value and high upside, even if there's also a chance to go seven and five. Yeah, yeah, I think, man, it's it's tough to trust SC nowadays, but hundred percent. Hey, we're looking for value, so all these are going to be untrustworthy, right? Like I do love his, um, I love the Iowa State play, even even though like I mean that's a team that ended up losing five games last year. Now they were all close games, as he points out. Um, Maybe though, just just reading the article, maybe the one that jumps out most. And it is absolutely not going to happen. But, like, hey, I guess you never know. The ACC is terrible. What, I mean, what kind of odds, uh, as Andy points out, Florida State not even mentioned in the Westgate odds? Like, is that the actual Joe Burrow 200 to 1 play? Like, like that probably won't happen, but almost has an outside shot because you know they recruited a lot better than a lot of the other schools in there. I mean, yes, UNC, and it looks like Mac Brown's doing special things, and obviously Clemson, but like, I don't know. That, 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 that Florida State play kind of jumps out to me. No, I think that's a good one just from for the perspective of, like you said, because, I mean, the teams you're picking, if they're going to be like an upside pick, have to have just a firm talent base, right? And yes, and Florida yes. State's the best example of a team where the stock's really low, but you know the talent's there. And, you know, obviously 2018 was a disaster, but then 2019 they were still really bad on a record point of view, but you did see some infrastructural things kind of get better, in my opinion. I mean, I think still think they were a mess and probably made the right decision firing Tagger, but you did at least see some of the, like that offensive line stuff kind of get a little better. So, you know, you have like a program firmly improving in an area after being criticized so long and then continuously bringing in talent and you have a, a, a coach that has proven he can win with less talent at a place like Memphis I think that is a fun one and yeah I'm trying to think of another off the rail one I mean I, I'll avoid doing Indiana you know I mean if I'm gonna waste 20 bucks I kind of like the idea of wasting it on the thing that could potentially give me the most return I'm just upset like if with it's you most for cutting off my Indiana joke so now it seemed serious Oh no! Because <laughs> <laughs> you cut it off where I never got to even be funny. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, hey, Brody hey, really, look, Brody's Indiana, really high man. on IU. Hey, nine Windiana. This is the year. Hey, I or did they do that last year? Well, they remember they should have. They were up two, like three scores on Tennessee in the fourth quarter and blew it. Hey, they're gonna be good this year, man. Season opener against against Wisconsin on a Friday night. Whole nation's watching, but. Hell yeah, dude. Um, So one thing, and we got some time, is thinking about this question almost led me to another question I wanted to pick your brain on. Is It made me wonder, what SEC team are you most scared of? And I'll take Bama out of it. But I want to know, like, what's your power rankings of fear among the SEC rivals for LSU? Hmm. So teams on LSU's schedule, then? Um, Let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. I mean, because, like, in terms of just interesting SEC teams, Andy mentions them in the article. I, I would never – I don't think they're going to do anything. But, like, I am kind of fascinated to see what Tennessee is going to be like this year. Uh, just because – It doesn't I have to be on the dead, schedule. Yeah, let's not they, Yeah. But, but, I'm not a, but I'm not a scared of Tennessee. Right? Like, I, I don't if, – if you're running up against Tennessee in an SEC championship, hell yeah. I would, I, w- I would take that scenario. Uh, I mean, look, I think outside of Bama, I think it remains Florida. Yeah, It's tough to sit here and say Georgia when LSU has handled Georgia the last couple of times that those two have ran into each other. Although, just from a talent standpoint, I get it. Also, I've kind of talked down about Jamie Newman a lot this year 
Full disclosure, I'd never actually seen a picture of Jamie Newman, not in a football uniform. Now I have. He looks like he's 35 and jacked. So Jamie Newman did get a bit more intimidating to me. (laughs) Um, But still, I I think Florida uh, is kind of my consistent answer. I don't know if it's just my biases and just being a hater, but Texas A&M remains not as scary as they probably should be, given how how most people kind of think of them. Uh, so yeah, Florida, and then and then Auburn's just the eternal wild card. Like you never you, you never know up, yeah. what you never know what Auburn you're going to get. It's just so crazy. I know. I'm glad you brought them up because, I mean, full disclosure, I actually, like, you know, had to take over Auburn's state of the program story for, you know, the athletics. So, actually, it, it runs tomorrow. I just wrote it. So I, oh, I'm wow. Nice. bizarrely familiar with Auburn now. <laughs> but I, I, I do think they are, like, the fascinating wild card because I do not. I think they're a year away from, like, real SEC West contention or all that. But, like, they're preseason number 11 in the SP+, Plus, which you know I love is a good predictor. Yeah. And they're the most fascinating because – Obviously, their defense is going to take a smidge of a step back. That's a given when you lose Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson. But still, talent-wise, I mean, and Kevin Steele proven himself, they're, they're still probably going to be a top-ten defense. I do feel pretty confident in that. But they have that big what-if factor. as The kind of thing we learned with Joe Burrow last year is that Bo Nix does seem like he might be the goods. And I know last year this I am, season, I am I am with you. I am with you here, Brody. Continue. I just want everybody yeah. to know I'm with you on the Knicks bandwagon. Especially, I think the big thing with quarterbacks, just the word I always like to use is unlock, right? And I think, you know, I think Georgia never got a chance to unlock its quarterback play because of its outdated systems, and LSU never did until this past year, where just get an offense that really can do that. And, and Gus Malzahn, I mean, I do not want to criticize him. He's one of the offense, best offensive coaches of the past two decades. But I think his offense is just a – outdated is even the right word, but it's an offense built on just running the ball first, and then it's like screens and deep shots, right? But then – Last two years, the offensive line play hasn't been as good, and the running game wasn't really as dominant as you want it to be. So then, you know, you're basically were put in a situation where they were asking a true freshman, Bo Nix, to like go win them games in an offense that wasn't yeah. built for it. So it was just kind of a lose lose. So in hindsight, I really, I mean, I don't, we, I know we all don't agree with him winning SEC Freshman of the Year, but, but I mean, still, I mean, he did a lot of really good stuff. Played really well in some big games last season, like the Georgia game. He played well. Auburn, I mean, Alabama had some huge games, and they won that one. And like he didn't play well against Oregon, but he won the game. Like, you know, he he won the game when they had to have it. And that's as a 19 year old true freshman. So the big thing I'm I'm leading toward is they bring in Chad Morris, who, I mean, that was news, but it wasn't as big of news as it should have been is that Chad Morris before he went to SMU was probably what the, like the consensus top offensive coordinator. I mean, Arkansas just wrecked his reputation. I know his, his tenure at Arkansas. I mean, because they, they were terrible. Yeah. He deserved to have his reputation tainted, but like even SMU's stock was massive. So it is funny that like he went from like consensus top four offensive coordinator, offensive mind of that's not a major head coach to like now like just not that big of news. But him going with Malzahn, the idea is the way I was kind of exp- it was explained to me it was like it's the same ingredients but just you know different recipe. And and I think you know it's going to be a, an offense that is more suited to a modern passing game, but similar concepts. They have a loaded receiving core, to be honest, with like Seth Williams, Eli Stove, Anthony Schwartz. I don't. The offensive line could be pretty. There's a chance the offensive line's bad, but I don't even know how we spent this much time on Auburn. But I'm just saying they are the wild card because there is that chance that Bo Nix takes a leap into star. And once you have a star quarterback and a solid defense, every, anything is on the table, right? But their schedule is yeah. awful. Yeah, straight up, it is an awful schedule. But we'll see. So um, okay, 
as we wrap up here, again, theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. 40% off the sign-up deal. It's the best site in the world. Are you ready, Brody, to hear who the richest, the most successful financially athlete of all time was? I really am because you've been hyping this up privately to me all morning. Okay, so it's not um, Tiger Woods, uh, even though he's made over a billion dollars. It is not Arnold Palmer, though he's made over a billion dollars. It is not Michael Jordan, though he has made over a billion dollars. It is, in fact, Gaius Apuleius Diocles. That's right. A charioteer from, I don't know, like 1,700 years ago. Uh, This is a cat, Brody. Why? Check this out. This is a cat. born And at first, I thought this was Flavius Scorpius because I'd always heard that he was the guy, but then upon reading more, that actually seems like some wires got crossed somewhere along the way. Flavius Scorpius is the winningest charioteer, having won over 2,000 chariot races compared to Gaius' about 1,000. But how about this? He was a slave. He ends up buying his freedom. He ends up earning 35 million sesterty. I can't remember exactly how you're supposed to pronounce it, but 35 million worth of Roman currency. If we adjust that to what it would be nowadays, my man earned $15 billion. That 35 million sesterty, that was enough. That was enough. 15 billion with a B. That $35 million that he earned back in the day was enough to feed the entirety of Rome for a year. The entire city. Imagine an athlete making enough money to feed, like, New York City for a year or something, right? I mean, unbelievable. $15 billion. And the best part is, unlike Flavius Scorpius, who died at 27 years old, my man made it to retirement and didn't even die till he was 43. So shout out. To the wealthy, and I guess the reason I brought this all up is because Pat Mahomes just signed the highest value contract in American sports, right? Yes, Trout is guaranteed, but Mahomes got that awesome $500, $450 million deal. Uh, But that ain't shit compared to Gaius Apuleius Diocles, the charioteer. I just love this because before the show, John Hayes, our producer, and I were like, yeah, I don't know what this is. And I'm like, it's going to be some stupid loophole, and I'm just going to get mad at oh, T-Bob. No. And, it, and that's exactly what you did. Is yeah, how, is, okay, how is that a loophole? How is that a loophole? Explain that. You found it. You price adjusted the, the, this for man a used to, this man. This man used to perform in front of 250,000 people in the Circus Maximus, Brody. Two hundred fifty thousand. You think there was Tiger no salary cap tight? in Rome? You think Tiger Stadium's tight? That's bullshit. Actually, you you would like this. So there's a great Vice article on Gaius, and in reading about it, because Flavius had like double the amount of wins, but Gaius was a bit of a gambler. He would Ooh. kind of get people into like these big bet situations where he was essentially betting on himself and then he just consistently won and burned these other people. And so he was just like getting huge value out of all of his wins. See, okay, I have a question for you. Yes. What? Okay, so obviously the Mahomes news happens. Were you already sitting on this information or did you like, how did you come across this? Okay, no, I actually have to give my uh, father credit here Ooh, um, because uh, he is a huge fan of history and he is the one who originally told me about 
uh, Flavius Scorpus. Um, but I think that somewhere along the line, the wires did get crossed because this morning I heard the Holmes contract. And I was like, oh, shit, we were just talking about that at a lake the other day. And then I was like, I got to look him up. And when looking him up, that's when I learned about Gaius Apuleius Diocles, the man, the highest paid. I'm on Wikipedia right now. He is often cited as the highest paid athlete of all time. Yeah, but you, see the, you I'm looking at it too, and you see the like little like parentheses one and two. I believe those take you to something to say for nerds. Only nerds <laughs> cite that. <laughs> no way, but dude. No way. I just dude. love that I'm double mad at you tonight because you know first there's this, and then now you're out here tweeting Coach Doug's stuff and like like this silly nonsense. So I mean, really, wow. Just so you're so you're like Big J. Uh, no, I'm actually you're, not you're, that you're, guy. You're, you're you're against Coach Doug's because you only care about real sports. No, I actually thought it was kind of funny at first, and then it just like jumped the shark. I'm not like anti fun. I hate. I actually wow. hate people who are no, like, you no, are. we need to be hardcore journalists. No, I just don't get it. I'm I'm not actually like angry or anything like that. I think it's fine. Have you but tried people, watching a game? I've like watched like the clips on Twitter and stuff like that, and like okay, just, well yeah, yeah it just, seems like you really gave it a fair shake. I just don't. I don't get it. And then like now we're at this point where like actual journalists i like respect or respected like are just like <laughs> tweeting like news out there like you know i mean sources are saying coach doug jaggerton's going to lsu and i'm like what is this what is our life i guess we're in that was big situation. part of people love part of my take uh, I know they do. part of my take loves lsu how the ncaa you know how the ncaa 14 coaching carousel works you don't get to choose where you go so when LSU popped up, hey, I'm not going to lie. The only match I had watched before this was one of the natties where I think Big Cat had over 150,000 people watching, which is yeah. insane in its own right. Like, And I'm not even criticizing in Big Cat. Good for him. Pressure. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. They found a way to make like good content just out of nowhere. But... But um, And look, I, I, I get it. I get it. The, the, the reaction's been a little over the top, but... Ever since he joined LSU, I mean, last night I watched the game against Wisconsin and it kind of felt like football, dude. LSU, they're in Madison. They got down 17-7 early. It was looking sketchy. Big turnover. So late touchdowns. They end up winning 31-24. I was like, okay, I'm kind of into this. How about this? Maybe for next week's episode, I will actually sit down and watch a game or two and actually give it a Thursday night. Thursday night. Uh, they are doing an Alabama A&M doubleheader. Grab a drink, grab yourself, whatever your drink of the week is, a little ranch water, and just watch it and then give us a report next Tuesday. All right. No, I think that is fair. I will give it a fair shake, and I will give us a review next Tuesday. Yep. There you go. I cannot wait until you wear your Coach Doug shirt next week that you bought on Barstool. <laughs> hey, you're 2-0 you and so far in convincing me on things. You made me a ranch water guy. I've now yep. bought a Peloton. Like, I am becoming, every, <laughs> becoming yes. you. So, you know, we'll Let's see how this go, one goes. Dude. Uh, all right, that'll do it for this week's Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, if you like the podcast, we would love for you to review it on uh, iTunes. That helps us a lot. If you can share with your friends, that also helps us a lot. And, uh, yeah, as always, buy your meats at Abear Specialty Meats, the Bocage location specifically, if you want to help out your boy. And, uh, look, basically everything we talk about revolves around the athletics riding. It is my favorite sports site. I go there on a daily basis. It's talent. There's no ads. Brody kicks out to the LSU. But they have great riding for every sport all over the place. 
Uh, so go check it out. Sign up for The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Uh, thank you, Brody. Uh, we will be back next week. We will see you later. Bye-bye.